Genesis chapter 9. We're still with the ark and with Noah. We've seen in what? Genesis chapter 1. God created the earth in seven days. The overview of what happened. Genesis chapter 2. Hey, remember it's the telescope, zoom in view of what's happening there on the earth. The close up of the creation. Genesis chapter 3, the story begins with Adam and Eve, and we see them being uh, deceived by the enemy, you know. Genesis chapter 4, Adam and Eve, and Cain and Abel. Cain's pain, remember messing up and being an idiot, not repenting and turning to the Lord after what he had done. Genesis chapter 5, the genealogy from Noah, from Adam to Noah. And remember, we see the gospel hidden right there in the text. Amazing. Genesis chapter 6. We see the sons of God, or the Nephilim there, um, getting with the women and trying to destroy the bloodline of Christ, trying to mess up everything. And then we also see Noah come into the picture, and we see God telling him to build an ark. And then, chapter 7, we see the flood coming. And chapter 8, as we looked at last week, towards the end of the flood, kind of Noah floating on the waters and sitting there at the top of Mount Ararat and sending out the dove. And now we are here at chapter 9, where Noah is landing and has landed, and God is giving instruction on what to do here in Genesis chapter 9. So praise the Lord, we get to look at it together. And so let's start together. I'm reading from King James, you know. Genesis chapter 9, And God blessed Noah and his sons, and, he sa- and said unto him, or unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth, and upon every fowl of the air, upon all that move upon the earth, and upon all the fish of the sea, in your hand are they delivered. God has given us power over every single animal that walk the earth, and you, we see that. We see that we are able to train elephants and lions and crazy. It's crazy, that's for sure. That we can stomp on a fly anytime we want or flick an ant. or We rule this earth. God's given us dominion over it. It's a playground for us to play on and have a blast in. God built this whole earth for you and me to hang out on and have a great time on. That is the whole purpose. Remember Adam in the garden, pleasure? He created Eden and said what? This is pleasure. Come and enjoy. Come and have a blast. I give you all this land and you get to name the animals and do whatever. Just have a good time. Did Adam have to work? Nope. Never had to work. Never had to worry about a career or, you know, being successful or any of that. What did God say? Hey, just be fruitful and multiply, man. You're going to, uh, you know, everything's going to be taken care of. You're not going to have to work. You're not going to have to do anything. Hey, Adam was a gardener and he loved taking uh, care of the garden and spending time in it. It was a blessing unto him. Remember, there was no sweat on his brow until he had sinned. And then all of a sudden he started to sweat. And then all of a sudden there was pain in the childbearing but with the woman. But God has created this earth for us to be on it, hang out on it, have a blast on it. And it is a blessing. To live on this earth with Jesus is a blessing, my friends. Many times we say it, the Christian walk is difficult, man, it's hard. No, it's not. No, it's not. It can be at times. Times can get down. Times can get bummed out. We all mourn. We all have hard times in life. But the Christian life is the easiest life on the face of the earth. Why? Because guess what? You have the creator of the universe to come alongside you and help you through every single moment in your life. To pull through for you in every single situation in life. And so in actuality, the hardest life is the man who does not seek God. What do you do if a hard time comes? Hey, I go get drunk. Hey, I go and find some women to sleep with, or I go find a job to chase after to try to push everything out of my mind. That's what I try to do. But if I have Jesus, I don't need anything or any of that. And I do have Him. And life is grand. No matter what situation comes to me, no matter how big the mountain is, The Lord is going to pull through. Guess what, friends? I have a secret to tell you. The Lord has pulled through every single time in my life. 
and he will for you too. It's as simple as that. It's as easy as that. Oh, I'm going through this and I'm going through that. I don't know what to do. The rent's due or work and, and, and friend this and boyfriend, girlfriend that or this situation. Hey, the king is going to pull through. He's never failed. And he's never going to fail. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Not hard and heavy. Easy and light. I love it. I love it. I've come to give you life and that abundantly. To live as Christ, to die as gain. To live as Christ. Only if I had Jesus right next to me, Josh, only if I could hear his voice constantly. Hey, you do. He's in the midst of all of us. He stands next to us. A lamb being slain. He is there. He is here in this room in this moment. The creator of the entire universe sits with us. It takes faith, doesn't it, to believe that. It takes faith to know that. And when you believe that and know that in every situation, hey, your life changes. When sin comes to you and you know the king's in the room, oh, snap. When sin comes to you and you're doing this or doing that or thinking about this or looking at them in that way, things change. When you know the king's in the room and you're looking at somebody and they wronged you or did this or that. Hey, the Lord says to you and he says to me, Hey, that's right. My blood has covered you and forgiven all of you and my blood has forgiven them. Covered them and forgiven them of every single sin. Every single one. Guess what, Josh? I love them just as much as I love you. What? Lord, how could you love them that much? You're a bunch of idiots, you know? How could you? You're an idiot too, Josh. Oh, snap. I know, Lord. I know. I've messed up. We've all messed up. And he loves them. And he cares about them. You see, the blood of Christ, the king in the room, him being here on this earth with us, giving dominion over this place, him being with us no matter what happens, it gives life a new taste. Hey, going on a boat, wakeboarding or snowboarding or surfing or... I don't know. Whatever you like to do, those are things that I like to do. Those things without Jesus are fun. You go to the river and watch a bunch of people have fun. But when I have Jesus and life is 100% fun, and then I go and do that, life is grand, my friends. I experience greater than any man on the face of the earth that does not know Christ. Because I have true, sincere joy. Hey, if I don't have a boat, I'm still okay. I'm still having fun. And that's a scary thing. When that boat's taken away from all of my buddies back in high school, and they're sitting at work trying to go through life and struggling, all they have is that boat, and they long for that weekend. They long to get away. They hate this moment and this day. They long for that moment and that day. And we can be okay and sit in this place and say, Lord, we have you, Jesus. We have you to take care of us and help us through this life. And there's nothing to be bummed out about. God blessed Noah, it said in verse 1, and God has blessed us. Verse 3, Every moving thing that lives shall be meat for you. Even as the green herb have I given you all things. Interesting. Did you see that? Every moving thing that lives shall be meat for you even as the green herb have I given unto you all things. Notice, God now says, I have given you meat. I had given you green herbs of the earth to eat, but many say, scholars say that, everybody was a vegetarian on the earth until this moment, this time. Until God instituted that you shall eat meat. And something interesting here is, there's, there's, there's a lot of, theory going back and forth on why God instituted meat. Some scholars say that because the Nephilim had come and tried to mess up the race and were having intercourse or sex with the women and were impregnating and that's where you get the Nephilim, that's where you get these giants of the earth that were happening there in Noah's day because they were trying to blot out the pure bloodline of David, of Jesus. They were trying to infiltrate and destroy it so that Jesus Christ, our King, could not become and be the 
purebred of God or born of a virgin, born of that line, the King of David. They're trying to intercede, and obviously God finds a way around it. But what many scholars say is that since the Nephilim here had tried to get in, get in the mess of the bloodline, Christ, or I mean, I'm sorry, God instituted this meat here saying that you shall start eating meat. Now why? why would, what would meat have to do, anything have to do with that? Many people say, and also in tribes, where they see that in cultures, in demonic cultures, in demonic cultures, even in, as in India, in the um, Islam, I mean in the Muslim culture there, or Hinduism, gosh, Hinduism, they force and they push vegetarian, being a vegetarian, not to eat meat at all. In the demonic cultures, they force being a vegetarian, not to eat meat. Now why? Well, check this out. In 1 Timothy chapter, where is it? I believe it's 1 Timothy chapter 4. Let me see if I wrote it down. I'm sorry. Oh, no. Stay with me. Let me find it. you got to see this. This is crazy. There it is. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Listen to this. Now the Spirit speaketh expressively that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to the seducive spirits, or demons, and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from meats. What? Demonic spirits, demonic cultures, demonic cults that are happening, forbidding to eat meat. Now why? Well, some say that what the scholars are saying is that God started instituting meat because it has something to do with the demonic realm. Like, they don't... For some reason, meat keeps away the demons or something. Just as here, for some reason, the demons are pushing people not to eat meat. Don't eat meat, don't eat meat, don't eat... Why? I don't know. Somebody, a theory to think about. But that is why they say God instituted meat here in this time and that it wasn't instituted before. And it was necessary, not because... God was just saying, hey, now you get to start eating in and out because it tastes good. That's not why there was reason behind why he instituted the meat. And so there in verse 3, that is why they say he instituted meat, because he had already instituted the green herb and given it to the people. But verse 4, let's read together. But flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, you shall not eat. Don't eat blood. Don't drink blood. It's part of the law there. And surely your blood of your lives will I require at the hand of every beast will I, I require it. And at the hand of man, at the hand of every man's brother, will I require the life of man. Listen, verse 6. Whosoever or sheds man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God, man he made. Did you hear that? God institutes something here. He institutes a decree, or he says something straight up, he institutes government, pretty much. This is what this is the first establishment of government throughout all the Bible. And this here, capital punishment is what it is. Do you hear that? If you kill a man, you will be killed. And this has been issued here, right here in chapter 9, verse 6, that if you kill a man, you will be killed. Capital punishment. And it is said that capital punishment is at the base of every single culture Every single civilization, every single government to ever walk the face of the earth, it was the starting of every single government, and now as it moves on into something else, as the enemy comes in and pretty much pulls us away. Now, capital punishment is a good thing, and it is growing in our day in the Islam culture. You see Islam growing, it's the fastest growing religion in the world, and they practice capital punishment. Guess what? There are more churches or mosques in London than there are churches in London. Amazing. Mosques are starting to take over. Why? Well, some say that because they are doing justice. Justice is being served in that culture. If you kill somebody, you will be killed on the spot. No. There is no sympathy whatsoever. If you steal, your hand is gone. That fast. Your hand is gone. It, you only get a chance to steal twice because guess what? Your hands are gone. You can't steal again. What are you going to grab with, you see? If you rape or do molestation of any type, that's right, 
cut off. They deal seriously. You will never do that again, guys, and women, you, well, women, whatever, I don't know what they do to that, but it will never happen, whatever they do, for the rest of their lives. They deal seriously with it. But guess what? We have veered far from that. And look what has happened since we have veered far from that. What is the standard now for our law, for our justice system? Hey, if you kill somebody, if you murder somebody, maybe that's the top. You're getting 20 to 25 years, right? And so since that's the top, then what do we do for supposedly lesser crimes? We give less punishment of years. And the, uh, the man who kills 20 to 25, and maybe the man who rapes or molests 10 years and rapes 5 years and steals 6 months. Pathetic. So people get away with it and they just say, hey, I went to prison, I get out, and I'm just going to do it again. Hey, it's not that big of a deal. But guess what? If capital punishment was instituted, hey, there would be people in fear of the government. There would be people in fear of the people around them, per se. Because as soon as you did that, they took up stones. Guess what? In the Old Testament, if you talk back to your parents, you're getting stoned. You're getting drawn out to the edge of the city, and we're going to stone you. You don't talk back to your parents. If you're a rebellious kid, you're out of here. And so guess what? There wasn't that. They didn't have those problems. Yeah, but Josh, that doesn't sound right. That's, that's part of the law, right? No. This is before the law was instituted. God brought this to the table before the law. And secondly, but what about Jesus? Doesn't Jesus, I mean, remember they took up stones to stone the adulterous woman in John chapter 8. What about, no. The law says that if you were caught in adultery, like the adulterous woman there, then both parties. What about the man? Why, why did the woman get drug out and not the man, huh? He was in adultery too. The man and the woman are drug out to be stoned. And that is why Jesus stuck up for her and said, hey boys, you're not down for justice. If you were down for justice, then you would have brought the man out too. You would have drug him out. You're just here to try to trap me and make a fool out of me. And so he made a fool out of them, didn't he? He said, hey, let the first man without sin in his life cast the first stone. And not one of them could pick up a stone because he probably wrote down the sins that they were committing adultery in in that week or that month. You have, were at this hotel with this woman doing whatever. And the Pharisees dropped the stone and said, oh, snap. And walked away. And so here, capital punishment is instituted. God gives government to the people, allows them to rule and reign over themselves. And it's a good thing. And I wish we'd get back to that in this day. My grandma used to say it all the time. If somebody does something wrong, they should take him out in the middle of the town and hang him. Amen? And there would be no more of that going on. Can you imagine that? What if the next 20 people that committed murder, every single one, were on the spot? If there's two witnesses that saw you did it, you're done. If two people saw you do it, you're out of here. All of a sudden, there's people hanging in the streets. Oh, snap. People would think twice about killing somebody, wouldn't they? If, what if a person's hand was cut off here in America? Uh-oh. Nobody's stealing ever again. I ain't get my hand cut off. It ain't worth it. Oh, Lord, have mercy on us. Forgive us, King, for getting so far away from what you want and the way you would have it. Verse 7, And you be ye fruitful and multiply. Bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply therein. God wants them to prosper. He desires for every man to prosper. He desires for every man to be diligent and to work hard, not be lazy. No idle time in your day. Don't sit around and be lazy. Don't sit around and not do anything. Find something to do. Idle time is the devil's workshop. You know it. In verse 8, God spake unto Noah and to his sons with him, saying, And I, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your seed after you, and with every living creature that is with you, and of the fowl, and of the cattle, and every beast of the earth with you, from all that go out of the ark, to every beast of the earth. And I will establish my covenant with you. Neither shall all flesh be cut off any more by the waters of the flood. Neither shall there any more be a flood to destroy the earth. God's establishing a covenant here, isn't He? And verse 12, And God said, this is the token of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature 
that is with you for perpetual generations or continual generations. It's never going to stop. The rainbow will continue. And here it is in verse 13. Do I set my bow or my rainbow in the cloud, and it shall be for a token of a covenant between me and the earth. And verse 14, And it shall come to pass when I bring a cloud over the earth that the rainbow shall be seen in the cloud. Oh, I love it. Oh, I love it. I was going to make a t-shirt. It was kind of crude. And I decided not to now. I was going to say, make a t-shirt that said, Give me my rainbow back. You know, Genesis 9.13. You know, straight pride. I was going to do that. But you know what? Praise the Lord we can love homosexuals and care about them and minister to them. Just like back in the 60s, everybody laughed and mocked the hippies and would not have anything to do with them. But one man did. His name was Chuck Smith. And that's when the Jesus movement started. And all of a sudden you have Calvary chapels everywhere. And that's where Harvest came from. And hey, Greg was one of those hippies. That's right. And I wonder who the man, who the woman is that's going to reach out to the homosexuals in this day. I believe they are the hippies of our day. And I could see revival breaking out within them. They're the least, they're the farthest away from God. The hippies were the same. And the man that shows love to them and ministers to them in a special way, doesn't mock and hammer down on them, but says, hey, you're forgiven. Hey, guy, you struggle with sin just like I do. I struggle with looking at women as all men do, and you struggle with looking at men. Hey, that's just the way sin has come to you. It's no different. We're all in the same boat. Lust doesn't matter if it's a man or a woman. doesn't matter who it is. It's wrong. And it's sin. And God's forgiven you of that. Hey, call upon the name of the Lord and you'll, you shall be saved. I believe Jesus is Lord. Amen. You're going to heaven, man. Enter into the presence of the Lord and come and hang out and have a blast. Praise Jesus for that. But give me back my rainbow. That's what I wanted to say. And I want to make a bold stand and shout at the top of my lungs. But it's not that way. That's not the way the Lord does it. Huh? He's so gracious. He's so wonderful. He comes to us and just with open arms, Hey guys, when you're ready to come, I am ready to bless you and love on you. Hey, I don't care what you've done. I don't care how many times you give me the bird. It doesn't matter. And he waits the rainbow has been given here, and it is a covenant saying what? Hey, when you see that rainbow in the sky, remember this covenant. This is the covenant that God has given to man. Do not forget this. God says, I will never flood the earth again. I will never destroy the earth in this way again. God, the next time He destroys the earth, will be with what? With fire, we see in Revelation. But this time with water, and he says, I will never do it again. And what does he do? He puts a rainbow in the sky as a covenant. And guess what? That rainbow has been out every single time it rains. And that is a promise to me and to you. That is a promise. I love the rainbow. This is why. Because since God has made a covenant, made a promise there, in that rainbow, in looking at that, in the cloud, every single time it rains, he says, I promise a rainbow will come. That applies to every single promise God has given to us. What does he say? I will provide for all your needs. Does the rainbow come out every day when it rains? Yes. So guess what? If God promised that and it still happens today, then the same thing is going to happen for you and for me in every single way with financial needs, with our needs. Spiritually, God says, cast your burden upon me and I will give you rest. He says, come unto me, all ye who are heavy laden and burden, and I will give you rest. He says, I'll give you a peace that surpasses understanding. He says, I'm going to take care of you no matter what happens, no matter what goes on in life. No matter what. And so be reminded when you see that rainbow, go and tell somebody tomorrow, hey, you know what? God's made a promise that he has never broken over every single person that walked the face of the earth. What's that? You ever seen a rainbow in the sky? It speaks of the flood, that God will never flood the earth again. Or you know what a rainbow is made up of? Two different things. It's made up of rain clouds and the sun. And I like that. John Corson gives that illustration. He says, It's made up of the rain clouds and the sun. And that's what our life is made up of in the same way. 
When the rain clouds come, guess what? The sun is going to come out and there's going to be color. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be awesome. Because every single rain cloud that comes, it may rain down on you. It may mess up and storm and this and that and toss you here and there. But the rainbow is going to come out. The sun will come and cause things to get beautiful and wonderful and colorful. The sun, our King, Jesus Christ, He rises every day. And so it's a great promise. It's a great thing for you and for me. The bow that it says in King James, the word bow there can also, it represents rainbow, but it also can represent, the same phrase there is for the bow and arrow, the same bow. Guess what, we see a bow in the sky, yes we do, but guess what, there's no arrow. Because that arrow has already been shot, the flood on the earth. But that arrow has already been shot at Jesus Christ our King, and that arrow is never going to be shot at you or me. The bow is empty, my friends, God's not mad at you. There's no condemnation for those who Christ Jesus. There is no war between you and God. God says, hey, I'm happy with you. I love what you're doing every single day in your life. What, Lord? Look at all the sin I have. I don't see your sin. All I see is an empty bow. I put all that madness on Jesus Christ, and so I'm not going to get mad at you anymore. He's happy with you. It's like the father who has a son who's just a terrible kid and just does this and does that and trashes the house. And the father took his other son and already went and spanked him like a million times in one setting. And every single time the kid does wrong, he says, hey, I'm not mad at you, son. I got mad at Joey for you, you know, already. And hopefully one day this boy who does wrong will see what the one has done for them that took the million spankings. We'll be stoked on that and blessed by that. That the wrath of God will never come out on you. He'll never be bummed out on you. He will never. Does he get bummed out? Yeah, he doesn't like to see us mess ourselves up. Does any father like to see his son go and get drunk and mess up his life? No. He gets sad. Does any father like to see his kids go run off and run away from him? And he chased him. Son, come back to me. I love you. I want to give you... I got a big bank account full of money I want to hook you up with. I got a business I want to help you. I want to help you in life. I want to take you to Disney. I want to bless your life. And the kid gives him the birdie. Yeah, right, Dad. Get out of here. Don't ever talk to me again. And the father says, Come back to me, son. I miss you. I don't want to get mad anymore. I'm not mad. You took it out on, on, on Joey over here. You don't have to worry about that. I just want to be with you. And that's our Father. That's our King. The bow is empty. He wants to be with us, friends. He wants to spend time with us. Recognize that covenant in the sky when it rains. When it rains, say, Lord, I can't wait to see you clear up this storm and say, be still. I can't wait for the sun to come out and make a rainbow in this storm. Reminds me of the storms of my life, amen? The Lord's going to pull through. So he made a covenant with man, and it's lasted for over, what, four, five thousand, four thousand years. In verse 16, I'm sorry, verse 15, And I will remember my covenant, which is between you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall be no more become a flood to destroy all flesh. And the bow shall be, or the rainbow shall be, in the cloud, and I will look upon it. I love that. God will look upon it. That I may remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature and all the flesh that is upon the earth. God will not forget the covenant that He made, even though we forget all the time what He's done for us. He will never forget it, and He will continue. I love that. He... he he says, I will look upon it that I may remember the everlasting covenant. Does the Lord forget? No. He never forgets. But He takes the fault. He says, like, I'm going to remember. Lord, you don't need to remember. You know all things. I know. He, he just, He lays down before us and says, I'm going to remember. Almost takes the blame, takes the fault in that way. Amazing. 
And verse 17, And God said unto Noah, That is the token of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is upon the earth. And I'm going to stand up for this last part here because this is awesome. This is interesting. This is wonderful. Verse 18, And the, and the sons of Noah that went forth of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And Ham is the father of Canaan. These are the three sons of Noah, and of them was the whole earth overspread. You have Ham, which means black, and they say that's where the black culture came from because Ham established in Africa, and that is where the African-American culture has come from. And they're not cursed, as some scholars say. They're missing the point there because God doesn't curse Ham here. He curses his son Canaan. And the Canaanites were wiped out by the Jews. So those of you who are listening, you scholars, incorrect. Number two, Shem, his name means glory. And he was established there in the in the Middle East, I'm sorry, yes, in the Middle East there with the, where the Jews are at. He was the Jewish nation. And Japheth there is the European nation. His name means ruler. And there's some great Bible prophecy and things in those names that you can look and do for yourself. Verse 19, These are the three sons of Noah, and of them was the whole earth overspread. And Noah began to be a husband. Not husband, the word husband, not a husband, like married, no. Husband, a vineyard man, that's what it is, a man who takes care of the vine. And he planted a vineyard, there it is. And verse 21, And he drank of the wine and was drunk. And he was uncovered within his tent. Stop there real quick. Everything was going good for Noah. The flood had happened, he'd gotten off, he starts to replenish the earth, he's following God. Hey, he starts a vineyard, he's being productive with it creating wine, and guess what? He gets drunk. That is the time. Listen. Listen, don't miss this. The time when the enemy will attack is when you are doing best. The time when the enemy will attack is when things are going great, when things are going, getting wonderful in life, when things are starting to excel, when things are getting better. He will rip everything out from under your feet and try to destroy you. Because he doesn't want you to excel. He wants you to be bummed. He wants you to be down. He wants you to miss out on the blessing God has for you. And so when things are getting better in life, that is when you need to be on guard the most. Stay focused. The same for Noah's life. He missed it. And he drank the wine and he got drunk. And he was uncovered within his tent. And he was naked. He was, I don't know what he was doing in there, but he was uncovered. It says it right here in verse 22. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father. Okay, check this. Father's drunk, he's naked, he's laying there in his, in his tent or whatever. Ham walks by, sees his father. Look at what Ham did not do. He did not go and what? Cover up his father or close the tent or any of that. Look what he did. What's the next thing he did there? Verse 22, he told his two brothers. And he told his two brothers without. He gossiped. He went and told, hey guys, He'll never believe it. Dad's in there naked, man. He's in there dancing around and he's drunk and he messed up this and that. He wasn't looking out for his pops at all. He went and gossiped. And look what happens in the next verse. I love it. And Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it upon both their shoulders and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father and their faces were backward and they saw not their father's nakedness. Amazing. I love it. Shem, Japheth, you guys are awesome. Look what they did. Brother comes, hey, just like people come to us all the time, right? Hey, so-and-so went and got drunk and did this. Blah, 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 blah. Oh, snap. I'll slap you in the face, Ham. I'm going to eat you for dinner. I'm sorry. That's terrible. I know, I know. I know. I had to do it. But isn't that so church? Isn't that so our friends? Isn't that so us? Isn't that so you and me? Somebody goes and does something, guess what we do? We've got to go and tell the nearest person to us. Hey, there weren't too many people on the face of the earth there, so guess what? Hey, I've got to go and tell uh, my brother. That's all I could tell. That's the only people I could tell. Ham. He goes and tells his brothers. His brothers look at him like, you idiot. 
dead laying there naked and you're coming over and laughing and talking about what's wrong with you? And what do they do? Amazing. A beautiful illustration of what we are to do. They put a blanket on their shoulders, okay? Say Papa's in a tent over there. They shield their eyes, right? And they, they come over and they turn around and they, put, they walk backwards. And they turn their heads away from his nakedness and drop it on him and close the tent. So that they do not see his nakedness. So they do not see his fault. So they do not see what he did wrong. They just let it go like it was no big deal. They just cover it up and praise the Lord. They're forgiven. And may we have that heart. When someone sins against us or does something wrong, may we take the cloak. May we take the blanket and just walk backwards and just throw the blanket on them and be quiet about it not tell anyone. Love covers a multitude of sins. 1 Corinthians 13 takes into account no wrong. Oh, I love it. Oh, I love it. Man, they, they covered up the sin of their father. We never cover up the sins of people. We love to tell people what so-and-so did. We don't ever like to... If our first inclination when we hear something about somebody is not, I'm gonna okay, I'm gonna keep quiet, you know. I don't want to tell anybody because man, that just make them look so bad. That would just, I mean, destroy their the whole picture of the way everybody looks at them. I mean, you know, they're they're, they're you know maybe I know they're a bad person. They've done this or that, but you know what? Even so, if somebody tries to tell me about something bad, I say, ah, I don't want to hear that. Get out of my face, alright? You're not going to tell me those things because I don't want to look at them in that way. Hey, do you want me... Hey, why don't you tell me some things about you that you've done wrong and I'll go and tell somebody right away. Do you want me to do that? No! And so why would you do that about them? Why would we do that? We never want anybody to say anything bad about one. Do, do you want some... Do you want me... Here, why doesn't everybody say something bad to me and I'll go make sure I tell a couple of people to make you look bad? How about that? Who would ever want that? Tell me the deep. Tell me that you got drunk last week, and tell me that you went and did this or that with some guy or girl. Go tell me that you, you know, ripped off your boss. Or go tell me. Go, come on. Nobody's going to openly tell that because you don't want me to know that, and you don't want anybody else to know that. And so, why, when someone, when we find out something about somebody else, do we go and immediately tell? Brothers, sisters, listen. This is important. This is where family comes into play. This is where unity comes into play. I know I'm going late, but man, this is important because this is real. This is happening in our church today. Wherever you go to church, it's happening right now, everywhere that we are. And hey, when somebody comes in and says, hey, so-and-so did this, don't talk to me anymore about that. And number two, did you pray for them? No. Did you go lay hands on them? Did you encourage them spiritually? No. Then don't talk to me and don't ever say that about anybody ever again. Or maybe when they come to you and say, hey, so-and-so did that, well, what'd you do? What'd you do yesterday? What was your sin, huh? Tell me. Well, I'm not going to tell you that. Why not? You're telling me somebody else's mad. We're not going to do that, are we? And so take heed. Wouldn't it be awesome if this group right here, if us here, started to do that in the place that we're at, wherever we go? Hey, that'd make a huge impact because nobody does that. Nobody says those things. Guess what we do? We get embarrassed. Oh, snap. I know I should say something. Uh, I don't, I don't want to embarrass them. You know, I don't want to. Open your mouth in the name of Jesus and say, hey, you know, well, let's, let's pray for them right now, huh? Huh? Yeah, so, man, I can't believe it. You know what they did to me? They did this and this and this and this. Let's pray for them. You pray in the name of Jesus. Let's lift up. Pray a blessing on them. That'd be awesome. I long for that day. And when we do that, and when we change in that way, 
They will know we are Christians by our love, by our love. They will know we are Christians by our love. They'll know that we are different. They'll see something about us. She was caught in adultery, the Pharisee said. Any of you guys got sin in your life? Yeah. Looks like you don't have any room to say then anything, and me neither. We have nothing to say about anybody. And John said this clear as day to all the brothers there. He said, hey, if you listen, okay, listen. If you need to tell something bad about somebody to somebody else, it can only be if you have washed their feet, that you have got down and scrubbed those feet. And Lord, I love them, and I want them to be blessed. And I am sharing this with somebody else because I need them to pray also with me. And we need to go and encourage them and love on them and minister to them. That is the only way we can ever do that, okay? Let's do that. It's hard to catch yourself, okay? It's difficult. But start examining, okay? Make sure you do that. Be like Shem and Japheth and watch what happens. Don't be like Ham. Don't be like Ham. Because this is what will happen to you. Verse 24, And Noah woke up from his wine and he knew that his younger son, what he had done to him. And he said, Curse be Canaan. A servant of servants shall be unto him. Not curse Ham. Notice, he didn't curse Ham, his son. He cursed his grandson, Canaan. He cursed Ham's son, Canaan. And that became the Canaanites. And they were cursed. And they got wiped off the face of the earth by the Jews. Yep. They were cursed. And he said, verse 26, Blessed be the Lord God of Shem. Blessed be the Lord God of Shem. And Canaan shall be his servant. And God enlarged Japheth, and he shall dwell in the tent of Shem. And Canaan shall be his servant. And Noah lived after the flood 350 years, and all the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. And that is the story of Noah. And we're going to look into a couple more things um, about the generation of Noah in first chapter 10 and There's been a lot said tonight, I know, I'm sorry. But may we take these words and really apply them to our lives, okay? Please, I know you'll be blessed if you do. I know I'll be blessed if I do. Let's not only be hearers of the word, but do words. Let's start to apply these things in our hearts that we may not see man's Apply these things in our hearts that we may bless him and love on him. I want you guys to be blessed. When you step out and do these kind of things like Shem and Japheth did, people will look at you in a different light immediately. Immediately. And don't be a Pharisee. You little buster. Why are you telling me that? That's what I want to be. But do it in love. You know, hey, you know, hey, let's pray about it. Or hey, they're forgiven just like you and me is an awesome. Or hey, you know, they messed up, you know, and, and let's not look at them and see any good to say, man, I'm bummed out they got ripped off, you know. I don't want them to get ripped off. I want them to be happy like you and me. Remember that rainbow. Remember the covenant that God has given to you. He's promised to fulfill every single promise that he's ever placed in the Bible. He's going to pull through. He's never failed. He never will. That rainbow will never stop coming. Recognize what God wants to do in your life and start chasing after that tonight. Recognize what He spoke to you and apply in this moment. If you take this message and you walk away and do nothing with it, that's another message that you've squandered away and we've done nothing with it. Can you imagine the people we'd be today if we applied every single message? We'd be awesome, huh? And so let's start today in applying and doing those things. And I know you'll be blessed, my friends. I just real quick, just before we close, I just want... I just want us to... I don't, I don't think we have communion now, but that's okay. Um, I just want 
us to remember what the Lord has done for us. Because that's the whole reason we come together. That's the whole reason we pray. That's the whole reason we look into this word to learn more about him. That's the whole, the whole reason is based around communion. It's based around what Jesus has done for you. That is the whole reason we are Christians. It's because of what Jesus has done for us. May we never forget every single time we come together what Christ has done for us. That's your motivation, friends. That's why you live. That's why you breathe. It's not for anything else. It's not for a job. It's not for success. It's not for a relationship. It's not for people. It's not for your family. That is not why you live. We live because of what Jesus has done for us. We live for Him. And all those things come number two. And so let's remember in this time, I'm just going to pray, you know, and you remember in your mind and your heart too, okay? Don't, don't forget, please. And Father, we come to you in this closing moment, and I'm so sorry, Lord, do you hear me, King? I'm so sorry that I haven't spent more time in focusing on the cross and what you have done. You're so wonderful. You've given us so much. We thank you so much for your body being broken. Without your body being broken, Lord, we could never be freed from any of the sin that we had ever done in our lives. And the sin that we're struggling with right now, we can't be free from it unless we believe that your body was broken for it. And so we thank you for that. We thank you, we thank you, we thank you for being broken for us, that we didn't have to be broken. You were broken so we could be made complete. And thank you for that. You're so awesome, you're so wonderful. We celebrate what you've done for us. Would you all, everybody, please just say thank you, Lord. Just say thank you. Thank you for what you've done for us, Lord, for the body. And Lord, number two, we thank you for your blood. We thank you that your blood wash, washes our sin away and makes gives us a clean slate, gives us a fresh start, gives us a new beginning. Though our sin be as red as scarlet, you have made it as white as snow. Snow is white, Lord, and that's pretty white. That's pretty clean. That's pretty fresh, Lord. Do you know what we did today? Do you know what we sinned in, how we messed up today? Do you know what we did yesterday and this last week? You mean we're white as snow? You mean you don't see anything? We are so thankful that you have forgotten everything we've done. And we're so thankful that you don't hold us accountable for the sins that we have done. Only perfect people get to go to heaven. Why do you let us go? It's because Jesus lived a perfect life, I know, for us and gave it to us and he took our life. And now we get imperfect. And we're so happy that you look at us perfect, Lord. We have not forgotten that your blood has cleansed us. And please, everybody, please say thank you, Lord. Thank you, King, for what you've done. We remember you tonight, and we love you, Lord. And we just commit these things to you, our lives, our problems and situations in life. Would you just please say, if you're struggling with a problem right now, just bring that to your mind, bring that to the forefront and uh, you can talk it over with the king as I pray just agree and say yeah Lord that's me or you know you, whatever you need to do raise your hand or uh, whatever you need to do to indicate to the Lord that that is you and that's what you need prayer for and that's your situation and that you need freedom or you need rest in that and Lord I come to you with my brothers and sisters here Lord I'm coming on behalf of them I thank you that you're hearing us right now, Lord. I know there's things that we're all going through right now in this life. Lord, we do, we ask for rest in this moment, and we know you're going to give it to us. We ask for peace, Lord. We ask that we would not worry anymore, Father. We ask that we wouldn't be down and bummed out, Father. We pray that you would give us vision and, 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 and open our eyes to see what you have for us right around the corner, Lord. We pray that you would give us an answer, Father, for whatever it is in this situation, in that situation. We pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes to see clearly the plans you have for each one of our lives. We want to know. We pray for our lives individually that we would spend more time with you, God. We want to know you more, Jesus. Wake us up in the morning 
tap on our hearts, open our eyes, that we can come and hang out with you before the day gets busy, Lord. All the things here, Father, we lift these needs up to you. Would you just say that, Lord, I lift my need up to you, I lift this situation up to you. You say it in your heart, you say it with your mouth. Lord, this is for you, King. Help me in this situation. And Lord, I know you're going to. You never fail. You've never messed up. You've always pulled through. And so, Lord, we do. We lift these situations into your hands. And thank you that you're going to give us rest. Thank you that you're going to part this Red Sea. Thank you that the rainbow is going to come out in this storm. Thank you that the sun is going to shine like never before. We wait for you, King. It's today the day that you return. We are ready to go to heaven, Lord. We are ready to spend time with you for eternity. Thank you that we get to go. Thank you that you've given us tickets. We're ready, King, for you. And Lord, if we don't go today, then praise the Lord. We're just going to hang out with you and walk with you in each day, step by step, moment by moment. Show us what you'd have us to do. I lift this group into your hands. Have your way in each one of them, King, tonight. Thank you for hearing us. Thank you for spending time with us. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We love you. We love you. You're awesome. We exalt you. We praise you. Thank you for who you are and what you've done. We give our lives to you in your name. Amen. Amen, amen. Amen. I love you guys. And, uh... Maybe we can do the man song. Can we do the man song? You guys want to do the man song? Or are you guys just like, yeah. Hey, let's stand up. Come on, do the man song with me. I know, I know. You guys aren't probably going to sing loud, but... I still like doing it and walking away blessed because it's wonderful. It's a blessing. And uh goes a little something like this. Hail Jesus, you're my king. Hail Jesus, you're my king. Your life makes me to sing. Your life makes me to sing. And I will praise you all my days. I will praise you all my days. You're perfect in all your ways. You're perfect in all your ways. And hail Jesus, you're my Lord. Hail Jesus, you're my Lord. And I will obey your word. And I will obey your word. I want to see your kingdom come. I want to see your kingdom come. And not my will but yours be done. Not my will but